What is up, guys? Welcome to the third out. My name is Bryson French, and I am with Noah Witzke here today. Uh, to get started off for our episode, we are going to look at the MLB lockout, which happened actually one day after we recorded our last podcast. Um, so we kind of knew it was going to happen, but it's officially happened now. So Noah's going to give us a little rundown on what happened, and really the most important thing is what each side wants. What does the Players Association want, and what does the MLB want? Yeah, so I'll pretty much – I'll just start off with what the MLB claims they want uh, as it is the shortest here. You know, they pretty much want everything to stay relatively the same there, and then they want to expand the playoff a little bit. That's pretty much all they're wanting to do at this point. Now, the Players Association has – a little bit, a little bit more demands here, uh, you know. As they, uh, there's a little bit of a tanking issue that me and Bryson have talked about here. Um, you know, there's it hurts the market for older players there. Getting young, they want younger players to be paid sooner. Um, you know, most of the uh, players aren't going to be eligible for arbitration until after the third season. There. And they won't be free agents till after their sixth. And this is this is pretty much just a money issue there. And uh, sell, the seller cap will not. Uh, you know, seller cap's not going to be very team friendly. There, it's going to be pretty much player friendly, and uh, pretty much force teams to tank to uh, stay competitive or be competitive. I should say, not stay competitive. Yeah. It's interesting that, like, I feel like the MLB Players Association, like, their interests conflict with each other, with themselves almost. Like, you don't want teams to tank, but you want to force the teams who would tank to, like, not tank. Like, not that, that was a bad way of putting that. But, like, you, you force the players to tank, basically, by saying you have to pay us more money, right? You have to pay the young players more money now. You have to sign the old players. So you're really making it so that the players at the top are going to be rewarded a lot more and the bad teams are never going to be able to get anywhere. So they're going to have to tank without even trying. Like they're just going to be bad. Um, yeah. They want to stay, the players associate wants to stay anti salary cap. Uh, that's fine. Yeah. Um, but they want the competitive balance tax to get bumped up. And that, again, that's going to force players to tank more often because not all of the teams are going to be able to keep up with that. So, yeah, I, I agree. I, I understand what the MLB Players Association wants, but with trying to go for both sides, with trying to get teams to be more competitive and getting teams to pay more money, those two things kind of conflict with each other, I think. So it's going to be interesting to see how they try to get both of those. Yeah, I mean, the anti-salary cap is the only good thing that comes out of this. I mean, or well, yeah. that stays the same. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, you can't really have – yeah, like they conflict. You can't have both these things and stay competitive. I think that's the problem the MLB is coming up with. So, yeah. I mean, like for me, like I would like to see the older players get jobs, you know. I feel like that would take care of a lot of the tanking. Yeah. Um, and I would like to see the, the young players get, you know, a little bump in salary, but you can't be uh, moving the uh, the tax then at that point. Yeah, I know that. 
because if you move the tax, then the other two things go away. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how all this plays out. Because uh, I mean, I don't. I mean, neither one of these sides is going to budge at this point. I mean, it's only been about a week. Um, I'd expect it to last pretty fairly long. Yeah. Until, until March. No competition. There's no no uh, communication going on between these two either right now. Really. Yeah. It's I mean, almost like dead silence. They're they're not getting very far with these negotiations. Yeah, I mean, something that I talked about in the TikTok we made. Uh, I mean, they flew in for a seven minute meeting. I mean, they had no, they had no intentions of coming to a deal. I mean, they flew in for seven minutes. They weren't even close to agreeing on anything. No, I mean, why would you? I just don't understand why they would come in and they'd fly in for a seven minute meeting. I mean, yeah, so we hope it's done before the season rolls around. That's going to be the big question for most fans. But, like, we want to see some more free agency, too, though. Like, that's still got to go on in this offseason. There's still a lot of free agents that need new homes. Yeah. Um, all that's going to have to be sorted out once this comes to a comes to an end. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, hope- it's really up there. There's not much we can say about it other than that. Yeah. Probably miss some spring training, but as long as there's a season. Exactly. So the big bit of uh, baseball news that we have now is there was a Hall of Fame um, induction, not induction, but a election vote, I guess I should say. But it's not the uh, baseball writers vote. It was they actually have a golden days ballot and they have an early baseball ballot. It's done by a different association, but these players go to the Hall of Fame. And so there were two, three, four, four um, elected from the golden days and two from the early baseball. And a lot of these guys, I mean, these guys were before our time, probably all of our times. But uh, the first guy in was Gil Hodges from the golden days. Um, he played from the time he was 19 to the time he was 31. He was actually in the military for his 20 and 2021 um, year old seasons. Um, he played. He played for the Brooklyn uh, Dodgers, then the LA Dodgers, and then went to the Mets. So he ended up back in New York at the end of his career. 370 home runs, uh, 273 career batting average. No, um, played first base in the outfield. Um, an eight-time All-Star, three-time Gold Glover. Um, the big thing about me that stands out is like this guy was top ten in WAR once in his career. So like these. I mean, eight-time All-Star. I guess that's that's a big deal. Um, Jim Jim Cant, uh, left-handed pitcher. He is still alive, still announcing. Um, does a lot of stuff for the MLB Network, and he did. Uh, he was doing the White Sox Astros series, I believe, in the playoffs this year. Um, he's 83 years old now. Um, played from 1959 to 1983, so he played for 24 years. Um, played with a lot of teams. Uh, played with the Nationals for two years, Minnesota for 12 and a half. I don't even think it was the Nationals back then. But anyway, the White Sox for about two and a half, Phillies three and a half. Uh, played for the Yankees for a little while and then ended his career with the Cardinals. Um, 3.45 ERA over his career. Another guy with uh, another three-time All-Star, 16-time Gold Glover. That's a lot of Gold Gloves there for a pitcher. Yeah. Um. Mini Minoso um, died at 80 years old in 2015. He was born in Cuba, um, spent three years in the Negro Leagues, and then 
went to Cleveland, Chicago, back to Cleveland, back to Chicago, to St. Louis, then to the Senators, and then back to Chicago. And that was the White Sox, not the not the Cubs at any point. Um, played from the time that he was 20 to the time he was 38, and then he came back when he was 50 years old and went away for a little while and came back when he was 54 year old, four years old. So that was an interesting fact about him. Um, he was a low strikeout guy, a solid batting average, 299 batting average for a lot of times, for a lot of years, or his career average. Um, 13-time All-Star. I think he was probably one of the most standout players that made the Hall of Fame this year uh, in this list. Um, then we have Tony Olivia, uh, currently 83 years old, um, played from 1962 to 76, uh, played for the Twins the entire time. Uh, he was a big doubles guy, got a lot of hits, a lot of uh, good batting average. Um, the big thing about him is his OPS plus was 131 over his whole career. So amazing numbers right there. Eight-time All-Star. He was second in MVP voting twice. He was the Rookie of the Year, three-time batting champion, and um, just an amazing career for him. So those are the guys from the golden days. And then the guys from the early baseball area era, this is the biggest uh, surprise to me because, like, these guys sold like Bud Fowler, the first guy in here, he died at 54 years old. He died in 1913. Like his entire lifetime basically was before the world series even existed. Um, so he pitched, he played third base and he played second base. Uh, there's literally like no numbers on this guy. So I don't even know how they figured out he was a hall of fame level guy, but they did. And then there was Buck O'Neill, who died in 2006 at the age of 94. Um, he played in 1937 for the Memphis Red Sox at age 25. And then the rest of his career was for the Kansas City Monarchs. Um, he was the first baseman and a three-time All-Star. So those are the, your uh, Hall of Famers this year so far. And we have another, the uh, baseball writers um, election coming up, I believe, in January. Yeah, that's when you. That's when you all will uh, will know some names. Yeah. But anyway, I thought it was interesting. Some of these guys, you know, get, we get an idea for some of the numbers and you know the the guys that are getting in and what they looked like in their careers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty interesting, especially those golden days ones where there's actual numbers. These early baseball ones, it's kind of kind of hard to tell. Still, I mean, amazing that you know. I mean, Fowler played before the World Series even existed. Yeah, it's pretty It's pretty interesting. Yeah. So with that, our next segment for today is the top 10 first baseman. I think we uh, mentioned at the end of our last episode that this is what we were going to do. Uh, this ranking is just like our top 10 catchers ranking. This is who we think will be the top 10 players going into the 2022 season. Um who we expect to have the best year next year. So with that, our number 10 spot goes to CJ Crone. This guy had an amazing year, I think. Um, really just broke out there in Colorado. He had a war of 3.4. Um, he's 31 years old. So like most of these first basemen are in there, you know, right at 30 around that mark. Uh, a 130 OPS plus, 
Um, and then looking at a lot of his advanced metrics, really um, up there on the max exit velocity, stuff like that. Um, barrel percentage was really good. Um, I mean, really what you want from a first baseman, I think. Uh, let's see, 31 years old. So he's got like at least four years comfortably left there. So the Rockies, I think, are feeling really good there. Yeah, he's definitely uh, he's definitely one of their bright spots there. Yeah, he's definitely one of their bright spots there. There's not and, uh, many bright spots there in Colorado. Not many, but he he's he's one of them out there. Uh, you know, hopefully he can. Remember what was it? Our team of the month that we did for the last month of the season. He was our first baseman. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember that last month of the season that he had. He absolutely tore it up. I think that's where a lot of his good numbers came from, too, the way he ended the season. Yeah, and I expect him to, you know, stay on that tear for next season. Uh, I mean, yeah. he was just – he was crushing the ball, playing great defense. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it was it, – it, yeah. That moves us now to uh, number nine, and we're going to move to Seattle for Ty France. Now, this is – I don't know if he should even be on this list because I don't even know if you really want to consider him a first baseman. This guy is a great utility player, um, really just moves all over the infield. Um, but he had a war of 4.3. Um, that was really his uh, big number that came into play here. He's just so so valuable in so many ways, gets the job done every time. Um, 27 years old. We, we really went with youth for this list. Like there are a lot of really good older first basemen. Well, we really went with the young guys on this list. Um, the OPS plus was 128 and then an amazing 290 batting average, which you don't see much of that anymore. Um, and very good defensively at first base. Um, he's a slower guy. So like as a utility player, it's maybe better that they keep him here. Um, but he was one of the better first basemen when it came to strikeout rate, uh, more of a contact guy than a lot of the other first basemen here on mm -hmm. this list though. Yeah. So I think Seattle's got a good piece there. It'll be interesting though, to see if he stays at first base though, and more so than anything else. Yeah. He, he was one of those guys, you know, when we were making this list and you said, Hey, I got a list, you know, look and see if what you'd change. He, you know, everything else was pretty, uh, was uh, pretty much where I'd put it. But this one was, like, I don't know if you consider him a first baseman or not. But you know, yeah, it's it's interesting because you know, it, you know, he spends most of his time probably at first base. I don't know how you know you split up the, you know, yeah. positions, but he probably spends most of his time there. So probably consider him a first base but it's amazing how he moves all through the infield and it's pretty you know pretty effective anywhere he plays yeah i mean he's such a key piece to this team offensively and then you look at the fact that you know defensively at first base he was i believe one of the best on this list oh yeah actually the second best on the list defensively mm -hmm. so besides a guy that won a gold glove so um you know, we could have considered him at second base. And I think he probably, if we had considered him at second base, he would have ranked higher than number nine. Yeah. Just because of the weakness at second base. Like, first base is filled with MVP level players almost, you know, a lot of the way down. Yeah. There's, 
like, I mean, there were MVP level players that were left off this list. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy how loaded first basemen or yeah, first basemen are uh, this year and, you know, looking, looking on the next. So that moves us now to number eight and we're going to move East to Philadelphia. Uh, Reese Hoskins, this is an interesting one because he did not have the best year um, from a numbers perspective. And maybe in his career, he hasn't lived up to his expectations really at any point completely, at least for what I expect from him. But if you look at the advanced metrics, he is absolutely killing it. Um, So we look at his average exit velocities in the 83rd percentile. Um, You know, like all these numbers, um, like barrel percentage in the 94th percentile, like all the hard hit percentages, he is from 70 to like 95th percentile, which is really good. And it's better than a lot of other people on this list. Mm -hmm. Um, His struggles are his, you know, whiff percent, his strikeout percent, um, you know, but we're going to come across a lot of first basemen with that problem. And so I think it's just a matter of him just getting a little bit unlucky. Um, Cause if you look at those numbers there, that's a lot of red. That's a lot of him being above average and a lot of things. And so I think that next year, those things are going to start to pay off. Like hitting the ball hard is the, the ball is going to start finding gaps. It's going to start getting over the fence and his numbers are going to pick up. So that said his war was, I think the lowest, maybe on this list, he had a two war, um, he had a 129 OPS plus and a 247 average, um, only six runs above replacement or runs above average, excuse me. And then he had, he was negative 10 on the defensive run save per year. So defense hurts him probably more than anything else. Um, offense just getting a little unlucky, but he's a young guy. He's 28 years old. Another, another guy of youth on this list. Yeah. I think Philadelphia is really in a good position here. Yeah, that now takes us up to Josh Bell. Yeah, number seven. Now, the Washington Nationals, this is kind of a surprise here. Now, I don't know. Is it a surprise? Because this is Josh Bell, when he was in Pittsburgh, was an MVP-level player. Remember, if you remember his last year in Pittsburgh. Yeah, he was very solid. He was in that MVP conversation, and then he kind of just, like, disappeared. Yeah, he the second half of the season. fizzled out real fast. Yeah. And then they got rid of him and they sent him to Washington. And Washington thought they were going to compete at that point. And then Washington decided, no, we're going to tank. And Josh Bell kind of just disappeared. But Josh Bell had some good numbers. And, again, he's a guy that may have been a little unlucky. He didn't do as bad numerically as Hoskins did but he didn't do as well as his advanced numbers show he should have done. Mm-hmm. So if you remember, I said that Hoskins struggled with the uh, strikeout percent and the uh, whiff percentage. Well, Josh Bell is above average on both of those um, mm-hmm. strikeout percentage. He's in the 73rd percentile, which is really good. And then everything else, like the average exit velocity and the hard hit ball percentage, um, slugging percentage, all those things, his walk percentage even, like those things are so far above average. He's in the 80th percentile and on up. Um, that's actually from an advanced metrics point of view. That's one of the highest on this list. Yeah, that's exactly what I was just thinking. I mean, so I think next year is going to be a good year for this guy. Yeah, it, it'll, 
you know, new place, you know, he struggled a little bit. Uh, you know, he's yeah, I think he's really going to find his footing there in Washington and be one of their uh, centerpieces to their rebuild. Yeah, we see a lot of teams rebuild around a first baseman, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I kind of thought Pittsburgh was going to rebuild around him, and they didn't, but maybe Washington will. Um, he's 29 years old, so again, right? Again, you're in your 20s, so it's a good age. I think he can outlast a rebuild and still mm-hmm. be playing well when that's over. Does he does he want to put up with that? I don't know, but I would like him to. I think he would be a very valuable piece for them to do that with. Oh yeah, especially with who they have left on their roster after uh, after they started trading everybody. He's definitely somebody that the Nationals want to keep in their uh, in their clubhouse. Or if I was the Nationals, I would want him in my clubhouse. Now here's the thought. I just thought of this, but Freddie Freeman's a free agent, and the Braves. You know, I, I feel like the Braves are going to bring back Freeman. But say the Braves were to move on from Freeman, could they trade for Bell? I feel like that would be the sneakiest, most beneficial trade for them. Yeah, I, I could see that. I, I could see them doing that. I mean, because they don't they really – Bell's such a good player. Anywhere he goes, yeah, and be reward. And it's not like the Braves have some really good prospect coming up. Yeah, that was the problem that we discussed. That the yeah. Braves get rid of Freeman, they don't have anyone. Yeah, they so they'd, they'd, either, they'd either have to sign somebody, which this free agent class doesn't have bad first basemen, but they don't have tons. I mean, Rizzo is the only one I can think of right off the top of my head. Um, and then Freeman, of course. But yeah, I could I could see that happening if they would decide for whatever reason to move on from uh from Freddie. Yeah. Uh other first basemen are Mitch Moreland, Travis Shaw, Jose Martinez. It's like yeah. You would take yeah, not the yeah. best yeah. first yeah. baseman market compared to the other free agents. Yeah. You got so that moves us to Yeah, you got to, uh, yeah, was the only one. Yeah. That moves us now to number six, and we will go from Washington to New York, and not the New York Yankees. The New York Mets have Pete Alonzo at 26 years old, so a really young guy. Real cheap. Um, real cheap. The big thing for me with him was he was the exact opposite of Bell and um, – well, he's really the exact opposite of Bell more so than anyone else because he got really lucky in what he did. Um, if you look at his advanced metrics, he had a lot of struggles. He chased a lot of balls. He had a high whiff percentage and he struck out a lot. Yeah. If you look at his actual numbers of production, he had a 4.2 war. He had 21 runs above replace above, above average, um, 134 OPS plus. So he got really lucky with his hits. Um, so I think his advanced metrics show that he's going to kind of move down next year. But he had a, an amazing year this year. And he's, again, a young guy. So I think looking at that, you still have to take him very seriously. He's still, I think, the sixth best first baseman going in here. But that said, I don't expect a big improvement upon the numbers that he posted this year. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is probably this is a good range for him. 
you know, gauging on, you know, his uh, metrics. But, yeah, he's one of those guys that either hits it 500 feet or misses it by about six to eight inches. I mean, yeah. it's, it's but the, really – That's all of our first baseman. Like, his yeah. average exit velocity and all that stuff is still lower than Bell's. Yeah. Like, it's closer – because, like, if you look at the chase rate, it's not even close. Bell blows him out of the water. Yeah. If you look at, like, the average exit velocity, Bell is still slightly better. So is yeah. Hoskins. Yeah. So I think this is the highest Alonzo will ever be. So, like, I could see Bell skyrocketing in a year or two to, like, mm-hmm. a higher number on this list. But I think Alonzo is, you know, at his ceiling right now. But maybe a little more maintainable. We'll see. Yeah, now, I remember talking during the uh, the home run derby. You're you're not the biggest Pete Alonso guy. I am not. He, yeah. I guess maybe it's the Mets. It's him yeah. and Bias now. Yeah, you were uh, you were really. Uh, I like Lindor. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know what it what it was, but like, yeah, I don't think he's that like he, he's not going to win. He's not that good. I was like, dude, he has hit like thirty home runs in two minutes. Okay. Yeah. So the thing I didn't like about Pete Alonso and the home run derby was the fact that he he robbed Vlad Jr. of it last year because Vlad Jr. hit so many more home runs, and then Alonso just stepped in in the last round, all rested up, and took it. It's that format. I like. I hate the format, but then again, the format's so entertaining. Yeah, it, it sucks for the players because you can go out there and hit. So I can't remember who. I think it was. Salvi, he hit like the second most home runs in the first round and then gets bounced. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that was the thing. Like Pete Alonso had like he had the higher seating and all that stuff. And just the way that worked out, not so much this year. I think he really earned it this year. But the, the year before, man, Vlad Jr. earned it. And I was a little bit sour about that. Yes. Yeah. Oh man. Why? That said, I mean I still have a very solid first baseman here. Yes. Now, speaking of solid first baseman and one we've already talked about, moves us up to Freddie Freeman down in Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah, So is it disrespectful to have the MVP from 2020 this low? I don't know. He had a really quiet year this year. I mean, he didn't have a bad year by any means, but it was real quiet. Yep. Advanced metrics were on par with Josh Bell. Extremely good like red all over the place, like 80th to 100th percentile and nearly everything. Um, the, the batting average, I like batting averages around 300. He had that, he had that 300 average. Um, a 4.7 war was really nice. Um, the main concern for me is 32 years old, you know, if anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the age is getting up there a little bit. Not too much. I mean, 32 is not old, but he's probably got bad. three, four more years of real solid play. Yeah. Um, 25 runs above average. So we're moving in a very good direction. That's a nice number. Mm-hmm. Um, and two defensive runs saved. So obviously nothing to dislike here about Freeman. Um, the only concern would be how long you're going to put him under contract for, but that's not going to be a concern for the next three years at least if not a little longer. Yeah. I think he's looking for like a six-year deal. I would take that. Yeah. I mean, you can make it past 35. Yeah. It's I mean, a little questionable past 35, but you can make it. 
Yeah, I mean, you just get a six-year deal. I have most of the salary in there in the first four years and then just not have much salary the last two. I mean, that wouldn't be bad. I mean, look. That moves us to number four, and that is Max Muncie. Now, Muncie hasn't been around as long, but he is 31 years old. He had a war that was mildly higher. Uh, Honestly, like, his war and his OPS plus were both just a couple of points over Freeman. Um, his runs above average were five runs higher than Freeman's. He had 30. Um, and defense was a big thing for him. He had eight defensive runs saved. Um, looking at his, um, from an advanced perspective, his strikeouts and his whiff percentage was a little concerning. It's basically like league average. Yeah. This is a guy who has a lot of love from the MLB community, though, um, from oh, fan yeah. bases, not just the Dodger fan base. And I th- it has a lot to do, I think, with where he came from and his um, the way he made it into the league and just what he does for his team, really, the way his whole team looks up to him. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely one of those role model guys that you want in your clubhouse, you know. I mean, yeah, I mean, you don't hear stories about him causing trouble in the clubhouse or causing drama or anything about contract talks or anything like that. I mean, he's a real solid dude. Yeah. So the interesting thing, if you were looking at um, Freeman versus Muncie, really here, um, say, like, I think they're very different in terms of, like, natural talent. Because, yeah. you know, the track that Muncie had to take to get into the league versus, you know, the track that maybe Freeman had to take, which was, you know, not easy. But, you know, he was, you know, working out in high school, waiting to try to, you know, get a trial with the team, really, like Muncie was. Yeah. Um, that said, at this point in the careers, they're nearly identical. I mean, Freeman is much more of an average type of guy. But in, in a lot of ways and what they do for their teams – they're very similar. Yeah. And the support they give for their team. Um, you know, I may give Freeman the nod as, you know, a mildly better offensive player just because I'm a big batting average guy, but the defense Muncie takes, and he takes it in a big way. So, yeah. I mean, he, I didn't really realize how close they were here until I'm looking at their, their stats. Uh, you know, side by side. I mean, they're very, very similar. Yep. Now that moves us to number three. And this one will move us out to St. Louis and Paul Goldschmidt. Now, the age is the main concern here for Paul Goldschmidt. That said, Mm -hmm. the other numbers were a solid jump up from Max Muncy and Freddie Freeman. Yeah. I think biggest of which is the war and the runs above average. So if you remember, Freeman had runs above average of 25, Muncie of 30, and then we jumped to Goldschmidt with 40. Yeah, and so the that's, war, a 10, that's a 10-run difference. Yeah, and the war jumps all the way up to 6.1. Yeah, so that's a win point like two over Muncie and a win point three over Freeman. Um, his batting average was very close to Freeman's around that 300 mark. His OPS plus was in the 140s, his first guy to get into there. And then again, a gold glove caliber player at first base. Yeah. Um, I think the big thing here for me was the consistency over years. 
um, you know, Muncie and Freeman have had consistency over years. A lot of our first basemen here have, but I mean, Goldschmidt has been near MVP level his whole career and he's still there. Yeah. Especially. And that said, you know, he's not like Votto because Votto has been that level too, but Votto's kind of shown signs of cooling down. Goldschmidt's not showing signs of cooling down. Yeah, I mean, and he's still an everyday uh, first baseman. Botto is not. Yeah. So, I mean, at 34 years old, still out there every every game, putting up these numbers, but pretty impressive. Not having injury problems either yeah. at that point. I mean, I don't. I can't remember the last time he was hurt. Yeah. The one thing that you may call on Goldschmidt is he's normally hot and cold. Yeah. He'll go through a month of the season where it's like, man, this guy looks old. And then the next month, it's that's where he's hitting, you know, 4 430 with, you know, 10 home runs in the month. And then the next month, he's doing, you know, terrible again. But that said, over the course of a season, his numbers average out very nicely. And he has a lot of really good numbers. Um, advanced metrics, again. Uh, like like every first baseman we've looked at at this point, it's just above league average in every respect almost. Um, you know, basically a little above average in the strikeouts and the whiff percentage, but, you know, what first baseman isn't at this point. Sure. That moves us to number two, and this will move us out to Oakland, Matt Olson. Now, this is an interesting one. Um because numerically he is a little bit below. Yeah. I feel like numerically offensively, he would find himself somewhere between Goldschmidt and Muncie, maybe. Yeah. Most but likely. He's 27 years old. And I think in a lot of ways, he is the future Paul Goldschmidt. I mean, well, if you look yeah. at him by the time he's 30 and 32 and what he's going to accomplish, he's going to have a very consistent career. He's a consistent player. Um, you know, that 5.8 war is a, a solid step right between Goldschmidt and Muncie. Um, he had, I think, second highest OPS plus among first basemen at 153. So just amazing offensive talent. Uh, five defensive runs saved, so you don't have to worry about him on the defensive side of things. Um, 35 runs above average. So, again, dead average between Muncie and Goldschmidt. Um, Advanced metrics, again, this was the thing I think that put him above Goldschmidt. He doesn't struggle with strikeouts nearly as much. No. Um, does really well with walking. Um, it's 92nd percentile on the walk percentage. So, um, Yeah, just above average in everything. And looking at the, again, looking at the metrics, the only thing he's below average in is sprint speed. And I think every first baseman we've looked at has had terrible sprint speed. So I'm not going to really consider that. Yeah, first base isn't the uh, isn't the fastest position there. No, but uh, Matt Olson, uh, like we got to give Oakland some love, and I think going through this list, we may um, give them a lot of love. But Oakland's a team that I've always enjoyed. Um, you know, I love my small market teams. The way they do things is so great. I love it when they find players like this. Yeah, now they just if they can keep them, that's the only thing. Yeah. I think, you know, he seems like the kind of guy that they would keep. He seems like a Goldschmidt type of guy that even if he leaves, I don't see him going to the big teams. Like he just seems like the right fit 
for, you know, like a Cincinnati or a team like that, you know? Yeah. All those small market, small market teams, you know, Milwaukee, Cincinnati, Tampa. And he's a smart sign too. Like the small market teams have to sign smart players. Like the yeah. Cardinals signed Goldschmidt because yeah. he's a smart player. They signed Aaron Otto because he's a smart player. I feel like Cincinnati would sign Olsen because he would be the perfect, you know, future of Otto, you know. In oh, way. yeah. Step in, in, that, in that role. Yeah, so I don't know why I think it's Cincinnati, but maybe just because he's he's a lot like Joey Votto in a lot of ways, I guess. But yeah, I see the similarities there. Yeah. That takes us now to number one. No surprise, it's Albert Pujols. Just kidding, it's not. Albert Pujols. Jeez. Uh, has Pujols announced his retirement yet? Is that a thing? No. I don't know. I Pujols. thought he. I thought he announced it like at the end of the season, but I hadn't seen anything other than that. I feel like I would have definitely seen something. He would have had a it. lifelong Albert Pujols fan. I feel like I would have known that. Anyway, number one is Vlad Jr. Yeah. So it shouldn't be a surprise. Yeah. You know, especially after last year. Yeah. You know, pretty similar to Apple Pujols, you know. In a lot of ways. Because, I mean, Howard Pools came on and won the rookie of the year at what, like, age 21? Something like that. Yeah. 2021. And Vlad, 22. Yeah. 22. And I think competing for the MVP. We look at the ages here on this list. Ty France was 27. 27 years old, the next closest player in age, and Vlad's 22. Yeah, and we got Pete Alonzo at 26. Oh, 26, sorry. So yeah, right so, here. 26. Yeah. So, I mean, pretty Vlad That is a massive difference. He had the highest war. He had the highest OPS plus. He had the highest batting average. He had the highest runs above replacement. Offensively, obviously, he's the best first baseman. And he's by far the youngest. I don't see how it could be much of a competition between him and anybody else, honestly. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not even close. I mean, you can't put anybody else in the conversation with him at this point. Yeah. Um, again, I'll say this again. I've said it a lot. I love my first baseman. I love any player that gets solid contact and hits for average. Um, Vlad Jr. is the best at that. Um, the 311 batting average, like a guy his size – a lot of, you know, people would look at him and expect, you know, a lot of home runs and a lot of strikeouts. He doesn't strike out that much. No. He's very disciplined. He walks a lot. He knows the strike zone. Um, he does whiff a lot, but that said, he whiffs in the right points at the right time. Like, he knows when in the count to do it. Uh, just such a smart hitter. Uh, yeah, offensively great and defensively two runs saved over the year. So, like, not a liability at first base. No, not at all. I mean, there's not much more to say. I mean, you pretty much said it all. I mean, yeah, I mean, he doesn't strike out. I mean, he whiffs, but it's not like he's whiffing on third strikes. It's, you know, first pitch or, you know, second strike. Uh, you know, runs against, runs against average, uh, you know, 45. That's easily the highest there. You know, he's hitting 311. OPS plus at 169. You know, and he's doing all this at 22 years old. That's what blows my mind. Yeah. 
And so we've talked to like, he is, I think the best offensive player in baseball. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, Otani's up there with all the things Otani does though. But like Vlad from an offensive perspective, exclusively Vlad's the best offensive player. Like if mm-hmm. you want to take a kid and be like, yo, this is how you play offense. This is the player you show them film of. Like you, this is the player you want them to model and be like. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't even think it's close, you know, offensively. And I think that will speak a lot to the terms of consistency that he might have as far as like, you know, you might be concerned about some sort of like um, third year slump from him. You know, maybe his third year in the league will be a down year for him, that type of thing. But like you look at his swing, I feel like it's consistent enough to where even if he has bad times, it's not going to be that bad for him. Yeah, it'll, it would be bad for his numbers, but it's not going to be bad numbers in general. Like yeah. His bad will be an average year. Yeah, his bad will be a Ty France year. Yeah, yeah, that's probably a pretty good comparison. Yeah. So that said, that is our top 10. Um, I would like to bring up two honorable mentions. Um, two guys that may very well prove us very wrong on what we did with this list. Uh, One was Jared Walsh for the Los Angeles Angels. Um, This is the guy that shoved out Albert Pujols, which isn't saying much at this point, but, you know, it happened, so it's a big deal. Um, He had a 128 OPS plus. He's 28 years old, so a good young guy, but he's even younger in terms of how long he's been in the league. Um, Defense is a big problem for him, but I think he can do a lot for his team offensively. Um, and then the other one is uh, the MVP from 2020, Jose Abreu. Um, he's 34 years old, which is the big concern. But, like, this is the guy who still could, like, if he walked out and won the MVP next year, I wouldn't be that surprised. Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely one that, I mean, age is a little concerning. But, I mean, he's definitely someone that can still go out there and play, you know, like the – Top five, any anywhere from five to three on this list. Yeah. So, I mean, the first baseman of a team is normally the guy that you find hitting in the middle of their lineup. So I guess it makes sense that these are some of the best players in the league. Like if, yeah, like we're gonna do second baseman next. And if you were to give me Jose Abreu, or you know, put Jose Abreu amongst the second baseman. I would say Jose Abreu would be, like, among the three best. Oh, for sure. As far as, like, his level of play to theirs. But first baseman is just so tough. Yeah, there's a lot of good first basemen. I mean, we only did two honorable mentions. We probably could have done four or five. Oh, yeah, we left out Rizzo, too. Yeah. Like, yeah. But, I mean, like, I I left out these guys because Walsh, we don't really know what he's capable of at this point. And Abreu, we know what he's capable of. I'm just – I'm taking a wager that he's not going to do it at this point. Yeah. That he's just going to be that solid middle of the order, like Pujols late in his career in St. Louis, like 100 RBIs, average near, near you know, 270, just assists his team as best he can. But, you know, like we have a list of 1 through 10. I would say eight of these guys could win an MVP, and I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, that's probably pretty good, pretty good number there. 
all 10 of these guys could be in the game at any point. Oh, yeah. You look at, you look at CJ Crone could do it. Ty France could do it. Josh Bell has done it. Alonzo, Muncie, Goldschmidt, Olsen, Vlad, like all those guys. So, all righty, guys, that is our episode for today. Today is December the 8th. I'm sure you guys are listening to it on a date after that. Um, but we really appreciate you guys joining us. Um, make sure to follow our Instagram and our now. We had now have a TikTok also called the third out same name so make sure to check those out and come back next week for our next episode where we will look at the al east and their offensive needs if they ever get out of the lockout so see you guys later